All right. I guess we're ready to record. You ready, John John? Let's do it. Crumb. Welcome back, everybody, to the Savage Cromcast, Season 8, Episode 6, Soul of a Turk. I'm Josh. I'm Luke. I'm Jonathan. And together, we three are the soul of a podcast. We've had lots of souls this season. That's right. We got soul, but we ain't soldiers. Mm, I Un- like that. Unlike the character in The Soul of a Turk, who is a soldier. Luke, unleash your James Brown impression on the world. Uh, I ain't got, no, I ain't got no bag. I, I can't do it. What am I? Oh, God, y'all. That's not James Brown. No, nope. That's uh, war. What is it good for? Yeah, Absolutely but I bet I feel like "Good God, y'all" was uttered by James Brown at some point. <laughs> Probably while at the pulpit. Probably. No, 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 no. So we're a podcast. We talk about Robert E. Howard, Conan the Barbarian. Who Guess what? What? Is celebrating something today. He's 113 years old. <sighs> Blow out your candles, Bob. Happy birthday, Bob. Thanks for all the stories. Raising our glasses. So, for sure. Yeah, let's drink one to Bob Howard. Absolutely, Here. buddy. Cheers. I'm going to use that as a segue. I found that as a, on a spot on my mic there. It was good. I like that glass. What do you got there, dude? Uh, it's a Mondo glass from Alamo Draft House. It's got the Avengers on it. Nice. Like the old Sean Connery Avengers? Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> so what's your segue? What do you got in that glass, John? Ah. Oh, you wanted the alcohol content, not what is printed. No, on the I glass. wanted to know what the glass was because it looked like a <laughs> like an like an adventuresome tumbler that maybe a ten year old would like be. Rocking out with his Avengers on it. Just Avengers Infinity War on it. Dude. It's got Cap with the beard. Everybody was into that for a while. Are you drinking Kool-Aid out of it? I am. Purple Kool-Aid mixed with Kirin Ishiban. Nice. trying a new beer. I've never had that one. It's a lager? I didn't really mix Kool-Aid with it, for those of you out there listening. I'm glad. That would be gross. It would be gross. Kool-Aid was invented in the state of Nebraska, though. I didn't know that. What? The Kool-Aid man yep. is a Nebraskan? It's true. Oh, yeah. That's how they enter rooms around here. You just bust through the wall? Bust through the walls. It's, <laughs> it's expensive, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I would. that would that would become tiresome. <laughs> That's what I'm drinking, and I might move on to some whiskey later on. I bet you do. What are you drinking, my friend, Luke? So uh, I am drinking... Uh, a nice big old tall boy of hams, America's <laughs> classic classic premium beer, born in the land of sky blue waters. That's what Josh brought over. I'm appreciative. Since 1865. The, what, what one of my favorite things about you is the way you say ham. Hams. hams. Yeah, pork soda. 
this this was a three ninety nine with my Kroger card. I love it, man. I, you can, I mean, if you're gonna buy cheap beer, buy some cheap beer. And I appreciate the. It's like the. I don't know. It's not the champagne of beers because that's no. another beer that we that we can't say. We enjoy them. Uh, we enjoy it. This is like the uh, the refreshing um, prosecco. It's the prosecco of beers. Like <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Pabst is like the riesling of beers. Yeah. Basically, if it's if it's cheap and super carbonated and pretty pretty sweet and good, mm-hmm. that's what we're dealing with. What's the other thing we got here, Josh? Man, you. Are a mazer. You're an amazing mazer. <laughs> I'm a mazer of might. Yep. Uh, so we're drinking some mazer's might. That is the uh, Luke branded um, mead. This particular variety is the Blackberry Melomel. This looks like batch number 17 and bottle number 23. Oh, that's the date. Yeah, I it thought was it bottled said, on. I thought that was a number from back here. And I was like, this is bottle number 23,000 and something. <laughs> So our friend has really scaled up his production. <laughs> I'm still legal. No, I'm still legal. Uh, my my wife, uh, as we rolled over the new year, I put I was making like a tag for the batch that I've got going now, and it's like batch number 25. And so she was like, "What's that 25 mean?" And I said, "Well, that means gallons." <laughs> she, was, she said, "You've made 25 gallons." Of homebrew this year, I said, um, twenty four yeah. actually, twenty four. I'm on my twenty fifth, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, but I've got like twelve or sixteen bottles of it, so I haven't. We haven't drank it all. No, you've so, done a really good job of keeping a, a mead cellar. I'm trying. I'm trying. So this is yeah. So this has been in the bottle for about half a year, and I have a handful. I've got a, a butt ton of cider that we need to to drink down. I, I kind of. I bottled two or three gallons over like the 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 autumnal months and mm-hmm. didn't didn't drink it quite as quite as hard as I anticipated. So it's just sitting there. Hopefully, it's aging up good. So maybe over future episodes, my goal is we can crack open some home brews to accompany whatever beer or whiskey we might have. Nice. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we got that. You have far outpaced me. I've only done uh, like five gallons. No, um, you've done like a variety of. I don't know. I would hazard to say. Better stuff. A lot of the quick ciders that I've done, they're okay, but they're not like, I don't know, they get you drunk. But <laughs> well, I'm going to, now I have five uh, carboys so I can really ramp up my production. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. So we're, we're drinking some delicious uh, homebrew and some, some uh, cheap beers. Yep. Here in Thus we enter the end game where it becomes apparent we started a podcast to fund our liquor empire. Except there's no cash flow. No, <laughs> everything's Creative Commons. Oh, yep. Yeah. We've nope. missed a very key step. That's true. Yep. But we are being repaid in the the uh, love and appreciation of our listeners. Kind, kind who, ears. Yeah, who have stuck with us for a really long time. It's true. Eight seasons. Yeah, that's a lot. It is a lot. So thank you for listening. Eight seasons. How many seasons did the West Wing have? <laughs> <laughs> like, Sorkinson can just take a hike. That's right. Yeah, we're approaching. <laughs> we're approaching Law and Order. What was that? Other, what was that other other show that he had that was on HBO? That was uh, all about Newsroom. The Newsroom. Oh. Sorkinson. Walk and talk with me, people. That's right. I I, do, I'm a big fan of the walk and talk. I, I do a lot of it at work, actually. <laughs> I, I Between the labs. same way, like I'm like, follow me. 
<laughs> between like uh that and what's uh what's the uh the the couple that does Gilmore Girls like uh Paladino Palad uh, I can't right. remember Sermon Paladino yeah like between like Paladinos they have like the uh the rando like uh street musicians that happen to be playing like uh Lizzie and I have been watching the the Miss Maisel show which is really good it's not my one thing I'm not I'm not blowing blowing it too quick here mentioning that but uh, <laughs> but between like like it's so funny that you can see the uh the tropes and like the little instances of like the same things that happen in Gilmore Girls in that show. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a traveling minstrel to accompany me as I'm walking down the street in some idyllic like New England town yet. Yet. Keyword. But I'm Start selling on those 25 gallons of hooch and you might. Yeah, Dude, I'm talking to Elvis plan. Costello. I've got him on tap. Nice. Carly, Carly Simon. <laughs> she's just ready to go. I'm going with Moby. Moby? Yeah, he's gonna follow me around. Okay, <laughs> do do some music. Yep, cool. All right, we need to get out of this hole. I'm digging us a hole with like Sorkinson and Palladino. Seven seasons. We beat Seven the seasons. West Wing. We beat the West Wing. Yeah, and I think Law and Order is at 21 episodes, maybe. But Special Victims Unit is still on, so we've got a, a ways to go. We're coming for Parker and Matt Stone with. There, South Park. Uh, South Park. We're coming after <laughs> those dudes. Ooh, how can we tie this all in? Uh, the guy from Special Victims Unit played Robert E. Howard. Uh, nope, that was Criminal Intent, sir. Dang. Yep. <laughs> Look at you. He's the kingpin. Now he's the kingpin. Let's do one thing. I feel like that was I like pretty, that one. pretty close to a stream of consciousness little uh, intro there. I think, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to make sense to anybody listening, but at least amongst the mics, as far as the way that like eyes were darting around. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's almost like we've all taken a whole bunch of uppers and we're, we're just letting it rip. We, we are the Unimind. <laughs> you looked over at me, Josh, like, dude, get out of this hole about the Gilmore Girls. No. Like, <laughs> no I'm like, I, no, you're right. Here's we need what, to go. Here's what I was thinking, actually, is that on the wife episode, the Wine and Witches, they talked about doing a Gilmore Girls oh. episode. So uh, uh, I just wondered if maybe we were bringing that closer to fruition. Maybe you were setting it up, Luke. Yeah. Dude, Lorelai, she's, she's the devil, man. You're going to be on that episode. I could talk about the Gilmore Girls quite extensively. Can we have it called Gin More Girls and they drink more gin and watch more episodes <laughs> of the Gilmore Girls? <laughs> this is not a bad idea. I'm writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> Patent pending for all of you listening. Don't steal our idea. John, do you have a one thing? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I have one thing that I want to share with you. And <laughs> yeah. my one thing that I will share <laughs> is <clears throat> I'm stalling because I'm trying to figure out which one I'm going to pick. Do them both. I'm going to go with the video game because I did comic book last Double time. Double thing. Uh, uh, no, I'm going to go with one. One thing. That's the title of the segment. I'm going to stick to it. It's called, maybe you've heard of it, it's a small indie game, uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Oh, my the God. Nintendo Switch. 
Oh my god, I love the Smash Brothers games. I, I do love some Smash Brothers. I haven't played it in a long time, but that seems to be a theme with Nintendo Switch games and me is, oh yeah, I remember enjoying this once upon a time. Oh, let me enjoy my memories in this new thing in my hand. Oh, and my daughter will watch me be Kirby and smash Yoshi with a hammer. And uh, I'm teaching her the right things. And then the next thing you know, it's 3 a.m. There hasn't been a night quite like that, but there have been a couple of like, oh, that was an hour and a half ago. <laughs> in the new game, you collect spirits. I don't quite entirely understand the concept, but you like fight these possessed demon versions of all these Nintendo characters, and then you free them, and they're on your team. And you can also just do regular smashing, but it's a lot of fun. If you haven't tried it out, pick it up. Regular smashing and super smashing? Regular smashing, super smashing, then ultra smashing, of course, which we're all familiar with. Naturally. Luke, have you played any of the Smash Brothers games? So I was about to remark, uh, I have never, that I can uh, uh, reflect upon, played super smash brothers like any of the iterations of that and what's the is it kingdom hearts is the other game which is kind of like oh, a mashup of a variety of properties yeah it's a, a square soft slash disney thing i've never played either of those two games and i don't think that they're related but it seems to me that they no, kind of but they're they're kind of like fighting games though with the characters that you know and love from nintendo and stuff right smash brothers is but the kingdom hearts is like a uh a it's a japanese rpg uh well it's like a 3D action game. Oh, like uh, wait. did you what? ever play Soul Reaver? Yes. Are you thinking Soul. of Soul Calibur, Luke? No, I'm not thinking of that. I'm no. I'm thinking of something different where you would play like a variety of characters across video game platforms and it would almost be a fighting game. Hmm. Well, Smash Brothers definitely is that. Okay. Maybe I'm j- Maybe Kingdom Hearts. I don't and, know. Well, I, oh, never I know what you're thinking of. There's there's another SquareSoft game that's like that. That is, uh, um, I can't is, think of it. It's a hearts? Final Fantasy. I don't know if it's something Hearts, but it's you can play all, uh, uh, choose from all the different characters from all the Final Fantasies, and so you can have Sephiroth fight Kefka if you. Okay. Want. Well, I've not played Super Smash Brothers. Or, or any of the iterations of that game. And it always sounds fun to me because I like the idea of playing a fighting game with, I don't know, Luigi or Yoshi or somebody it's, it's, bashing, bashing heads. It's a lot of fun. Next time I come to Kentucky, I'm bringing the Switch. Dude. We'll fire her up. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be sweet. <laughs> we'll have a Chromecast Smash Brothers Invitational. We could have a Twitch. Oh, that's like a like a live stream? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, it would be hard for us to have a tournament because there's three. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> One of us could get a buy. One of us gets a buy in the first round. <laughs> or J3K can come over. Yeah, we'll get Justin. Yeah. Evil Ed could come up. Yeah, that's not a far drive from, from where he lives. To play video games. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're interested in our Smash Brothers tournament that we're putting together, let us know. That's a good thing. I'm going to jot it Grand down. Grand prize is a bag, a jumbo bag of Oberto beef jerky. Ew, dude. No, we're getting Mingy Brothers. Yeah. Oh. We're getting real jerky. Moist. Not like uh, puppy dog food. Leather. I, I was just saying, I, I, it's not real, Luke. Oh. <laughs> well, we're talking it about is real. prizes. We're bringing it into the world we're getting, right now. We're getting legit jer- jerky. We're birthing okay. this video game baby right now. Okay. Hold my hand. Well, I'm glad the... that my one thing can spawn from the other thing. <laughs> I'm your idea midwife. We're bringing this into the world. <laughs> Get us uh, out of here, John. Move it. 
<laughs> yeah, go for it, Luke. This guy? Okay. Yeah. My thing is a is a is a record that I purchased. Uh it's called Olias of Sunhillo, which is a it's a weird ass title. I don't I don't uh disagree if if you were to come to that conclusion, but it's uh an album by John Anderson, I think from like 1976. Okay. Oh, I'm looking at it here. So he's the dude. He was one of the guys that was in Yes. He may be the he's the lead singer in Yes. It's a it's a fun trip, man. It's a crazy story. So this album is his first solo album, and it was inspired from the artwork of the Yes album, The Fragile. And so if you're familiar with any of the, the Yes materials, that's the cool album that has like the, the planet splintering apart, and there's a weird spish, like, like, like fishy spaceship that's like going out into the, the, nether, the nether void. Uh, and so Roger Dean did the art for that, and that, I think, inspired john anderson to put together some stories he's kind of a far out mystical dude and so this story for this album is basically it's his solo album that he put together he plays every stinking instrument on it it's it's amazing just from that regard that this guy like learned to play the harp he learned to play a variety of instruments uh he's a vocalist and uh was a multi-musician before he did the album, but he basically learned to play every kind of world music instrument that I can just come off of, like come off of hand and think of like the sitar and, and a variety of drums and the harp. It's crazy. It's a weirdo trip. And it's like a, it's a, it's a futuristic kind of space travel story. Like it's a concept album, of course, like every good prog rock album should be. Uh, <laughs> but the art is, uh, it's epic, and so I'm looking here. Let's see here. The art is by uh, David Rowe. He's one of the guys. He did art with like the Anne McCaffrey, like I think Dragons of Pern, the Pern series, uh, okay. But also like the Nazareth, like Hair of the Dog album. Like this is the same guy that did that oh, art. So okay. apparently Roger Dean wasn't available to do the sister sequel art for this, and. John Anderson kept trying to get in touch with him and he was just too busy or he didn't want to. But regardless, the art and the, the gatefold album is just crazy. Like there's a whole bit of text here and some far out stuff, but suffice to say three wizards get their peoples together on fish spaceships. They blast out into the cosmos. The three different wizards all relate to various types of like, musical concepts they fight the chaos and happiness reigns supreme uh it's it's a happy album there's a lot of anthemic qualities to it it's it's a far out trip if you're into prog rock and you want to hear some some relatively like easygoing like a head trip kind of music i would say plug it in it's good stuff buy some lsd beforehand or I mean, I, I, I listened to it just just raw with the headphones on, reading the story last night, and it and it it took me on a trip anyway. I stopped reading the story a couple times just so I could like replay a couple of the sound like songs, the uh, end of the first side and the end of the second side. So like kind of the closers for both sides are are majestic, man. Like the end of the first side is a song called the flight of the Morglade, and it is beautiful it's it's one of my new favorite tracks i mean i've only been listening to it for about 24 hours but i've listened to it multiple times today too it's it's good stuff and so 
this is going to certainly be a an easy listening track that I'll queue up while I'm reading and hanging out. Awesome, man. Yeah. You, you've got a quite a library of prog vinyl. I'm getting there, man. Uh, I like it. I like, I'm at the point now where I think I've got the, the yes and the rush that I want to get my, get my hands on. And so the stuff that I'm picking up now is, I don't know, like I've seen John Anderson's solo stuff before and this album just looks awesome. And so it was like four bucks at, at half price or whatever yesterday. And so I just like picked it up real quick. It came down to like this and then the third heart album magazine. That's, that's the other thing that I was, (laughs) that I was weighing it against. And I'm like, this is, this is a little bit more cerebral and this will probably be some, some better listening for tonight. So I'm going to pick it up. Maybe a little bit harder to find. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. So at some point we need to plan a trip down to Knoxville and, uh, uh, meet up with evil Ed and go to McKay's. I would love that, man. Yeah, that would be dope. Ed, put us on your calendar. <laughs> Send us some dates. <laughs> Josh, do you have a one thing? I have one. I've been playing a lot of board games here recently. Um, and one of them that I've really enjoyed is a board game called Pandemic. And I know it's been out for a really long time. It's won multiple awards. And it's it's well recognized as a really good definitive co-op board game. And so this is the players versus the board itself. Right. And you have a, a world map that looks a lot like any risk map uh, with connections between continents and things. And you play a team of uh, disease scientists, doctors, researchers, etc. And the, the object of the game is to eradicate the diseases that are breaking out all over the world um, before you draw all of the cards in this deck. And so there's a timer and it's really difficult. Um, Ashley and I and some friends played uh, three or four rounds of it and we lost all of them. We lost all, all four of them. And it's uh, we, I think we were all sort of just learning the game. It requires a lot of forth forethought and planning on round one. Um, and any missteps uh, can really cost you. The cool thing about it is there's not really any sort of randomness to it beyond the the deck shuffle. Um, in other words, you're not rolling dice to try to solve problems like you would in in Risk, right? Um, and so it's it's a very Euro style game, I think, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I liked it a lot. Um, it, it's it is somewhat more serious and strategic than the other game I want to mention which is Exploding Kittens. Um, And (laughs) this is a card game that was produced by, I'm not sure the the artist's name, but they do the the famous internet site, uh, The Oatmeal. And this is sort of a party game where everybody gets a deck of cards and each turn you draw a card and it might be something that can help you or it might be an exploding kitten. And if you don't have the card that lets you diffuse the kitten, then you're out of the game. And there are ways that like there are cards that let you throw the exploding kitten at somebody else that's playing or whatever. And so it can be like a hot potato sort of thing. You can uh, uh, stack the deck and place the exploding kitten strategically uh, so that the, the third person after you gets to draw the exploding kitten and have to deal with it. Uh, and it's just the art is funny. The, the flavor text is funny. It's, it's just a really fun, really great game that, uh, 
it has some adult humor, but really it could be played by all ages. Okay. It's designed in such a way that the jokes are uh, double entendres. Um, yeah, so board gaming. That's my one thing. I've been, <laughs> been playing the pandemic uh, and been playing the, uh, the exploding kittens. Nice, man. I've been wanting to play pandemic for a while. It seems like it would be a pretty intense kind of experience, but it, I don't know, just sitting around the table, really being able to put some time into it. It seems like it would be fun. It's cool. I, I think it would be, it, it would be a lot of fun to get a, a group of about six and sit down and, and have some, have some whiskey and try to uh, eradicate the diseases from the planet. Cool. We should watch, we could do it. We should watch outbreak beforehand. <laughs> Can we get the suits and wear them during the game? You have to. It's in the rules. Oh, cool. Yep. cool you have cool. to have a hazmat suit. Even better. Yep. So that's three meandering things that are very different from one another that <laughs> uh, you can add to your repertoire. We call it one thing. Does some good things. We like those things. Those are good things. <clears throat> Them's good things. What's the thing that we're going to talk about tonight, though? The soul of a Turk. By Ahmed Abdullah. I'm going to say Abdullah and not Abdullah. It'll it's funny that you say that because I was trying to listen to a podcast earlier that talked about another one of his stories, which I think is called Fear. Oh. Um, I just looked up Ahmed Abdullah on Podcast Addict and I listened to it and that was the very first thing they did was they said, Ahmed Abdullah. And I was like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you want to drop name drop the podcast or no? I don't even, I actually couldn't tell you what okay. the name of the podcast was. I just clicked it because <laughs> it said it was Ahmed Abdullah. Got it. So we said some things about this author on the very first episode of this season. And now that we've done a little bit more research and taken more time, it seems as though the things we thought about this person may actually not be true. <laughs> Which is awesome. I think it's pretty cool, but it is also somewhat frustrating. So, Tell me more about that. Why is it frustrating? Uh, it's frustrating because I want to know who this person was. And so this mm. gets back to that, uh, that quote um, or that writing from J.R.R. Tolkien where he talks about, like, you know, you shouldn't try to learn the biography of an author um, and try to get into their head. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, of course. Because um, then what that amounts to is you eating a delicious soup and then wanting to know about the ingredients and wanting to know about the bones that made the stock and wanting to know all of the things that are happening behind the scenes when really you should just be enjoying the soup. <laughs> but in doing this show, I I don't know if it's a symptom of that or or... I've always been this way, but I do want to know about the person that produced the content that I'm enjoying. And I would say maybe it's more frustrating in this case because it would be like eating some soup out of a can that's written in some sort of cryptographic language that you can't really decipher because there's no way to know anything about this guy right. from where we're sitting in history at this point. Yeah. Like even Jeff Shanks, pop culture archaeologist, I don't think – could uncover who Ahmed Abdullah really is at this point, right? That sounds like a challenge. Well, if it, if he accepts it, then I would be happy to see him prove me wrong. But... Oh, Jeff. He can't but, prove me wrong I mean, because nobody knows like... about Ahmed Abdullah. 
right? It, it's kind of a weird situation. How, how would you outline it though? Like what's what's his deal that we know of? Uh, his deal is that he purported himself as a um, relative of the Russian monarchy, uh, specifically the Romanov family. And he said that he was the son of the cousin of the czar, perhaps. Yeah. Ahmed Abdullah is the preferred pseudonym of Alexander Nikolaevich Romanov, the son of Grand Duke Nicholas Romanov, the cousin of the last czar, and Nur Mahal Dirani, an Afghan princess. But this person, no one can confirm that this Romanov was actually a person who existed. And even more broadly, I mean, from what I read, uh, his autobiography is a bit fluffed up. Like there's, there's, there's bits of adventure. It's, it's a little bit hard to take anything that this guy says with a grain of salt. Exactly. Yeah. You can't take him seriously at all. (laughs) So, I mean, and, and that's kind of, I don't want to say it's cool, but there's a little bit. It is cool. I mean, well, the rock star, like, uh, uh, Steranko mentality, like larger (laughs) than life. I'm going to like, have this this picture and this this vision of you know who you want me to be that's who I am right I can write this way because I have these experiences under my belt like the couple pictures that you can come up with this guy one of them is him like coolly smoking a cigarette right like there's there's a handful of pictures of Ahmed Abdullah that you can come across one of like he's he's super cool <laughs> dude yeah. the dude, lie is better than the truth yeah. he's he's wearing a cravat or a robe yeah, or something right. it's hard to tell yeah yeah. Well, I, so just to cover the breadth of this, because to me, it's it's a very well thought out ruse. Uh, he claims that he was originally a Orthodox follower, right? Like Orthodox Christianity, uh-huh. uh, but was raised by his Muslim and or Muslim relatives, so he converted to Islam. Uh, at the age of twelve, he went to Eton and Oxford, but, and he but, claimed, but that upon graduation, he joined the British Army. He rose to the rank of acting colonel during a 17-year military career, claimed to serve in Afghanistan, Tibet, and the Young Husband Expedition. He was deployed in Africa and China, and also with the British Indian Army in India. In addition, he was also a colonel in a cavalry regiment for one year in the Turkish Army as a British spy. He claimed to have mostly spent time in the military as a spy because of his wide knowledge of Oriental and Middle Eastern customs and religions. He also said something along the effect of he was made a British citizen by an act of parliament and had been convicted by the Germans during the First World War as a spy. But Eton and Oxford have no record of him attending their uh, their schools. That's um, true. I don't know about the veracity of his military record. I mean, it sounds like the dude was was telling some windy stories all, all the way around. It's, it's hard. I mean, surely there's, so there's he was there's, telling some porky pies. There's, there's some, there's some kernels of truth within all of this almost certainly, but it makes for uh, a much more favorable eye towards like the writing. The guy was, was putting out like it's, it's adventure tales. There's this blood and thunder and veracity on the page. Like, sure. like he wants to, he wants to be that. And there, there is a Howardian aspect to this guy, like not in terms of 
being a Robert E. Howard analog, but he's like a Robert E. Howard character writ large. Like <laughs> he's I going on, ad- on adventures. He understands how to navigate civilization. He's also done some evidently some barbaric things. He is a writer. He he wrote stories for the Argosy, uh, which you know that that was the target to hit right at right. the time. Um, not only that, he, he wrote screenplays and was nominated for Academy Awards for his screenplay for I'm not sure if it's Chang or Chong, a drama of the wilderness. And he also uh, uh, co-wrote the screenplay to the film "The Lives of a Bengal Lancer." So we had we've got the theme of Baghdad in here, right? Uh, He not only wrote for the pulps; he wrote for the Slick magazines, which apparently is a big switch. Uh, You don't normally see that happen for these kinds of folks, the pulp writers, I should say. What are some of the Uh, slicks that he wrote for? uh, It says New Yorker. Yeah. Where did it go? Uh, I don't have, I guess I don't have that information, okay. but that, that he made the switch. So he, uh, it's interesting to me to contrast him to perhaps like Howard. Howard, of, of course, lived in Cross Plains, was a well-read, educated man that was building worlds and adventures in his head and mm-hmm. In adventuring in that fashion, this guy claims to have like gone been, across been the there, water, jumped across the continents, been there, done that, uh, been a variety of, of things that that carry over into his stories. It's interesting to me that you can get to the same endpoint as an author and have an admitted like Howard never put on those airs. Right, this dude did like. To what extent did that did that help things? It, it makes for for cool discussion here, but I don't necessarily think that it is a you know a mark in his absolute favor on the basis of like the writing that we're reading here. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it helps him at all in terms of the the literary analysis that we will perform this evening. Well, but we're, we're critics <laughs> in, in the, the most <laughs> regal and academic of. Of, of positions up in our towers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, casting we're aspersions. all up in our towers. We've all been spies. I mean, we know how it works, uh, yeah, dude. I, sh- what? Sh- <laughs> uh, I guess for me, this is one of the things that I love about pulp things, though, is this weird, like, who the hell was this guy? Yeah, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> well, I love uh, the. And, uh, I mean, like the the pseudonym versus like straight straight pen names of, of people. This guy has a story. He, he's not even under a pseudonym. He's not even like manufacturing things apart from himself. It's, it's his right. real name, right? You're right. It's, it's a, uh, it's fantastic and fabricated. And I don't know. That's he's, he's, he's uh, living, you know, through the, the longer sort of history of time, like in the annals of history, this is, he's, he's larger than life. Yeah, and I think that that's fascinating. Like that, I know that this isn't completely unique to this period where you could do this, but don't you think this would be a little tougher today? Like, you, how many Ahmed Abdullahs could we produce in modern times? Uh, it would be difficult, I would argue, I mean, you for would, this to occur. You would manufacture it, and then 
ultimately in some number of years afterwards it would come unraveled right like that's yeah the, like bleeding cool would publish an article about all the lies right. you told or, <laughs> yeah and yeah. and you'd be undone you couldn't you couldn't live this ruse for forever and as <laughs> i mean as far as i could see on the whole wide internet and in this book that i have like i i don't know what this there, guy's real story is there is no other story right but it's clear that this story is false <laughs> So, yeah, and and to go one further, like, Luke, you said he, you know, he's not hiding behind a mask. Like, this is his name. Is it, though? Like, I wondered, <laughs> right. I wondered, like, who is this guy? And I was texting with John today, and, and I said, you know, Abdullah is a big bullshitter, right? Like, he's the biggest <laughs> bullshitter. And who is he really? Is he even who he says he is? Yeah. Like. So it's who knows how many layers deep this goes, um, but we can only take him at his word. And, and I guess everything else is just kind of supposition. Yeah. I think the, uh, the fellow that we're talking about here as the author or the, the person that we're talking about here as the author is as intriguing as the story that we're going to get. Yes, into. I think so too. And I, I think the mystique that, Ahmed Abdullah created for himself added to my enjoyment of the story. I would agree for sure. It's absolutely the reason that I wanted to include this because to me, just the like brief snippet that I saw when researching stuff for this season was there's this guy, he was actually Russian, but maybe he wasn't, but he went by Ahmed Abdullah and he wrote all these stories and he got nominated for an Oscar. Like, that's a crazy story in of itself. He could be, like you said, Josh, he could be a pulp hero himself. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. That's Ahmed Abdullah. So aside from the author, what do we know about this story? What are the, what are the ways that we might think about the writing that uh, Ahmed Abdullah, you know, provides to us i saw that this this story was included like maybe within the the big book of adventure i saw that within a couple different publications but i read it through uh archive.org that's how i read, I read it. it in the big book of adventure oh. stories as edited by otto pinsler oh so, nice so that's the thing that i saw so so that is I a big book of adventure <laughs> stories right yeah that's a, I mean, so, and it seemed like it was just sandwiched right, right in the middle of that, right? It's part of the section that's called Sword and Sand, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, it's just wedged in the middle of the whole thing. Sand and Sun. Sand and Sun. Does it have any kind of, uh, any kind of information about the story itself or, or the author? That we the Soul of the discussed. Turk was first published in Abdullah's collection, Alien Souls, which is from New York, uh, McCann Publishing, 1922. Yep. And it has a bit of information about Ahmed Abdullah. It's got about a page on each author that it puts before the story. And it talks openly about, it, it, authoritatively almost, about this guy is this Russian dude. He's a cousin of the last czar. Uh, this is all true. He was in the British Army in 1900. He was a spy. Like it, it buys in wholeheartedly to the story of Ahmed. So if I just read this and not the internet, I would be like, yeah, Ahmed Abdullah, you know, the guy that saved a 
saved the world in World War One. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, so Josh, did you read it through archive.org? Archive, yeah. And so that's you. that's a scan of the the alien ones. Yep, like alien text, souls or alien souls. Yeah. So that's that's what's linked on our like sort of like road to the east. So yep. you can read it that way. Mm-hmm. That's the first publication of this story, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And and I think there have been a series of subsequent reprints of this book. Um, I did do a brief search for it um on a books and i think the cheapest i saw it was about 30 bucks okay so so it is kind of a a pricey collection to get but um we'll be sure to post a link to the story on archive in the soul uh, in the soul notes (laughs) in the the show notes and uh, uh that way if you don't have access to this via a hard copy of the collection or the big book of adventure stories you can still read it and the quality of the scan is remarkable. It is good. Yeah. I like that you're able to sort of pull it up on a page-by-page basis. That's mm-hmm. how I read it, just on my e-reader. And I could, just like I was reading something on Kindle, you were able to go like page-by-page. Page. So it's not hard to read it, you know, courtesy of archive. Yeah. Um, and I printed this out on standard 85 by 11 paper uh, flipped landscape and printed two pages on each each side. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it... it Looks great. Cool. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about the dude. We've talked about how we read the story. Let's get into the actual story itself. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's hot blooded. Fifty word summarization of it. Let's. Can I read the intro paragraph? Sure. That night, with no hatred in his heart, but with a Muslim's implacable logic guiding his hand, he killed the Prussian drill sergeant who scarlet tar tarbush on yellow curled flat-backed skull, was breveted as major to his regiment, the 17th Turkish Infantry. It starts with a murder in the first sentence. Yeah, it starts it's a good with, hook. Yeah, I, it's and it's, it's one of those, it's a cool strategy in terms of, uh, or, or a, a cool writing hook, because the first paragraph and the last paragraph are mirrors, right? Like, we see the ending... And then we see all the events leading up to that end. Yeah. And so that's, that, that is one thing that I liked about the story is the structure of it. Yeah. Kudos for the narrative. Yeah. How would you summarize it, Luke? Yeah. How would you sam- summarize this one? Uh, it starts very personal and then it gets very uh, generalized and then it brings back to the personal aspect. So my criticism of the story is that it's, just way too too much in terms of the nuts and bolts of what was happening with Turkish peoples involved with World War One. Okay, for me as a reader in 2018, right? Uh, and so, similar to my Soul of a Regiment criticisms and some of the other criticisms that I've raised this season, I wanted to see it a bit more personal. And emotional. So, okay. and I actually raised this criticism with one of the Elborak stories too, yeah. that I wanted to see a little bit more like, like heart and soul to it. Mm. This story, I get the gravity and the intention that the author has, but the big middle is a series of like, uh, painting a picture for how things lead up to even larger, World War One conflicts. 
and it was it, it wasn't necessarily lost on me. It's just the the gravity in terms of what this means for the dude that did the murder in the first paragraph just didn't didn't hold for me. Okay. Can I be counterpoint? Yep. Sure. Hit me. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and defend this story too much because I would not put it in the top 2 or 3 of what we've read so far this season at all. But I would push back against what Luke was just saying because I felt that I was pulled in very strongly towards the middle part because the it, the beginning is this sort of like, okay, here's how we're going to get the Turkish people to fight for us and to fight the Russians. It's easy to manipulate them into doing that. But right around the turn where they start to actually go fight the Russians and they run through Anatolia and the parts of the country that are POV character, our main character, Mamet Altute, uh, El Tute, <laughs> is is from then he gets this pull on his soul of i've done my duty i have served my faith and my people well and i've actually defeated the russians like the the actual threat to us is over right and now i'm becoming this pawn in this game and he gets the smells of home and this like tugging on his soul strings of home of going back to his people and getting his just rewards for serving his his faith well that i i was into i liked this that personal aspect of it where i felt like it was a very personal story it was him saying haven't i haven't i made war enough um i don't need to be the the germans pawn in this grand game against the british and the albanians and all that kind of stuff i thought that that was cool. I thought that was more personal than some of the stuff that we've read this season. But there is a lot of fluffernutter kind of mixed in there. I will agree with you on that. It's it's presented in a very clinical way that lacks some of the emotion that other pulp writers that we've read have injected into their their tales. And I I found that somewhat not off putting, but maybe inaccessible. I. Clinical is a great way to describe it. Dude. Yeah. But I, I felt pity for, uh, I pronounced it Tuwadi. I'm not sure the, the right way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I felt sure pity we're not saying it right. for a POV guy because he like, it's pretty apparent that his worldview and religion and relationship with God and relationship with his, his, uh, his countrymen is being preyed upon by forces that he trusts to tell the truth, right? And they tell him that the Russians coming, the Russians are coming. Like you they're they're your your people's enemy of old. You know the stories of what they've done before. If they come back, it'll be 10 times worse. We've got to route them before that happens. And that's enough to convince him and many others from his province to march off to war. And so they say goodbye to their wives and their children and with minimal food and, and brackish water and no real supplies to speak of and subpar weapons, they're able to subdue and conquer a whole lot of people that they perceive as enemies mm. um, to protect the ones that they love and their religion and their, their relationship with their, uh, uh, their God. And over and over throughout the story, they are taken advantage of because they are good fighters. 
it turns out that our our POV guy is the last of his countrymen to survive and make it through to the end. And so he's the last one to ride off at the end to go back home. And I just, I even though it is kind of clinical in the way that it's presented to us, I did feel some emotion toward our POV guy just from the descriptions of what he had to go through and, and how he was being manipulated. So I, I, I know it's different, but as I was reading it and as you were just describing it, it came to me again. I think of like a, like the first Rambo movie, first blood. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different kind of story, but the same way that soldiers are used like that theme, that is a strong theme. Like that is something that we can come back to over and over again since the beginning of time to like 2018. It's, it's resonant. So, so the gravity of the first and the last paragraphs of the, the story hit me and, and it comes back to that multiple times over the story. Uh, but, that detached nature or clinical, that's the way you referred to it too. It's, it's a little bit like if we would have got a little bit more personal experiences, maybe of the, the, the protagonist with, you know, like him on the battlefield, something like that. I don't know if that would have made it a little bit different, but I, I agree. Like I, I definitely see the, the, the way that this story is meant to resonate with the reader and the way that it, at least it did resonate with me to, to some degree. Mm-hmm. I feel like that part of the clinicity of it comes from, we know what happens. We know that he kills his commander. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So for me, it's the part that I didn't like about this story is that it's presented as this has to happen because this Turk guy is so simplistic. Like his worldview is so simplistic and he feels that he has fulfilled his duty and now he can just murder this guy. Like I thought that knowing that was what was going to happen, it makes it too simplistic. But if we had built to that boiling point, to that breaking point, to that I have done what was asked of me, why would you ask more of me? And then he kills the guy. Mm. I would have, I think I would have liked this story even more at that point. So what if it had started on paragraph three where someone says to him, all is peace on you, brother Muslims. Like I would have even preferred it just to start or jihad, no, no. holy war, kill for the faith and yeah, blessed a, messenger Muhammad. Yeah. I and say yeah. the Turks are now at war. Yeah. Okay. Because the Russian is coming. That's, that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I see where you're going with it, John. And that, I don't know. That seems more like motivating to me. Maybe I think with with a current audience that would be that would sell for sure. And if he if he uh, heard that and then went back to his home and looked yeah. at his wife and looked at his children and thought, you know, I'm old and uh, I I did like the description on page ninety eight of Alien Souls where it says for like himself. He's talking about his countrymen here who are being called to war. They were simple Turkish peasants, bearded, middle-aged, patient, mm-hmm. slightly roomy, who had been drafted into the army and thrown into the frothy, blood-stained cauldron of European history in the making. Like, you know. These aren't like young, virile 20-year-olds. They're And they're not quite uh, Cleet the Cossack. 
Right. Who's yeah. who's like a total like shady shyster like through and through. <laughs> right. These are just dudes that want to get on home. Yeah. Like, they they are middle aged dudes like working and fighting their hearts out. I, that's the that's the sentiment. Yeah, and I think that's the bit that people can relate to. Yeah. Like regardless of of time or setting or whatever. Like that is something that makes this character relatable. Especially when you throw them into the Prussian, German, uh, the machine ideal, right? This what uh, on mine it's on page three thirty three. It makes no difference. Select the spiel of a baden gute sitting. Bad examples spoil good morals. If we let the Kurds do what they please, someday when we least expect expect it, these stolid Turks of yours will take the bit between their teeth, and then there will be the devil to pay. No, I am a Prussian. I have, will have discipline. Discipline is going to win this war. I shall make an example of these fellows. And then there's a firing squad and people die. And when you put that up against our modern reckoning of World War One, this like discipline and this old military ideal of we'll just pour as many people into the hopper as it takes. If you listen to uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history, his descriptions of how many people and how much blood soaks into the soil of Eurasia at this right. time. It's just like this guy is going to die for something that he never believed in. He has served what he believed and served his own purpose. So he, he kills a guy and walks away. <laughs> so so that's that's one of the things that I really did like about this story uh, is the the subversion of like the character, our, our protagonist, who's the Turk, who is the native man who's uh, working, living, fighting within the, like the, the soils of the story that we're, you know, the setting that we're dealing with here. I mean, German peoples face a lot of stereotypes and a lot of hardships on the basis of uh, a couple world wars here. But I like at least that the native peoples, are given like there's agency and there's there's motivation and there's action like all of those things are embodied by our our turkish protagonist and i don't like to see that the german uh uh you know military commanders and the, the 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 leaders of the the turkish people are like quote unquote the bad guys but I do like to see the subversion of at least the tropes of like compa- compared to the the Talbot Mundy story that we read or or any number of other like white savior type narratives. This is this is different. This is not that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, right. He isn't saved by becoming more Prussian. Yeah, no, no. He, he he at least like reclaims his independence and his. His you know, soul? His soul, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That, and that. saves maybe some of his <laughs> friends. Maybe, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right on. Um, one thing I liked about it was, even though the presentation overall was very clinical, the language at times was very pulpy and exciting. And one uh, short passage that I really liked was on page 101 of Alien Souls about halfway down the page and the 
uh, Turkish forces have been rolling through enemies, but they've now been defeated. Yeah. And their commander, Mustafa Shefket Bey, has been killed. And they're processing this. Like, how, if they're in the right, how could they have lost, right? Like, shouldn't God favor them? And so, here we go. They had never heard of either Enver Bey or the Potsdam Usurper. Their very names were unknown to them. They were fighting because Islam was in danger. Had not the green turban priests told them so? They had been defeated. What of it? That too was fate. Fate, which comes out of the dark like a blind camel with no warning, no jingling of bells. Like, that is so cool. Like, <laughs> it's it's evocative of this acceptance that, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you believe that you are in the right, like it's possible that things might not go well for you. And I love that. Like there are so many examples, specific examples. I can't call to mind, but through the course of the show, we've talked about similar um, sentiments. Like just, this is how fate is turning out for me. And this is how, this is the hand I'm dealt and I've got to play it. So as a, as a writing comment here too, uh, like the way that there is the the question and then the short retorts in sequence that is very pulpy that is yeah. very how very howardian like if you if you are wanting to write uh a sword and dot 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 narrative yeah that's a, that's a good little primer on like at some point if you want to like raise the hackles and and stir the pot include that kind of question and response uh argument to to get your reader motivated and it it really is effective right you just have like a a response to it just viscerally their god was crom what used to call on him (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's if you can write three to ten word sentences like as a as a response to a question over and over and over again you're just going to get like obstinance and like F you rebel sort of sentiments that just rile up. Yeah. So even though the overall presentation is maybe a little bit dry, I think there are aspects of the story that do somewhat stir up the, the blood and thunder. Yeah. <laughs> Any other quotes that you enjoy from the story? That was the one that really, that that would be my if we did a quote of the story of the episode <laughs> segment that would be mine how about you i would go with uh your war yes it is over but our war is not and you are going to fight for us my friend and you are going to toe the mark and fight well for he laughed unpleasantly remember our prussian slogan discipline discipline just the like i don't know like Luke was talking about this German Prussian hatred that has been engendered in the world over a hundred years that to me, like you could just encapsulate everything that you hate about war and about manipulation and politics. Right. right, That's it right there. Uh, You're going to die for us because that is your lot. Yeah. That stood out to me too, man. It's, it just, it engenders such, such, rage (laughs) like the authoritarian yeah 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 Yeah. die for me bleed for me and 
Mamet says, bleed for me. And he, <laughs> he kills him. It's a, uh, I mean, this is a very prescient contemporary kind of story, right? Like the stuff that we're reading here for being as old as it is. It's crazy to think that the, the, the comments and the narratives of a, like a, a world war one story could hold meaning in 2018. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that ports over. Absolutely. Like the, I don't want to get political. No, no, no. I mean, (laughs) like using religion to manipulate people and just like, like thought paradigms, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Or, Or even to think outside of religion, uh, to manipulate somebody's, um, patriotism. Right. To yeah. to, to right. say if you were a good American, you would pick up your gun and, and go off to wherever Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever it is. And, right. and you'll toe the line and you'll do what we say because we're the ones in charge and you won't question it like that theme is certainly still very relevant. Absolutely. And, and the fact uh, that this is an Islamic story, right? Like there's yeah. even... There's deeper layers that we yeah, can't def- even, even even get in. Like we we just that we're out of our out of our depth with that, right? But the the interplay of religion and patriotism and uh, what's the right word? Like just I don't know. Like like you versus them or othering. Like the way that you're able to sort of play that to a to a favor. I don't know. There's a lot going on here. John, what what were you going to say? <clears throat> I was just going to say I find it interesting that we would call this prescient, that we would say this is before its time and not call ourselves redundant. <laughs> that the reason that right. that we feel that way isn't because 100 years ago this is what they were going through and now we're going to put people through the same stuff in the next couple decades, right? Well, it's, it, it's it never ceased. Ob- that's a great observation, dude. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the, and that's the the sad like that's the melancholy or the sadness that you feel in this story, and that I think that we feel in 2018 too, right? Like there's 2019. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're, that's okay. We're we're in a new year. I forget this, dude. It's still January. <laughs> and by, well, by the time this episode drops, it's going to be a little ways away. Yeah, that's true. That's, but I mean, you don't escape that and that's that's the sadness right yeah we painted ourselves into a downer oh my god well it is kind of a downer isn't it like it it starts with a murder and then we see what precipitated that murder and it is relatable and that is disturbing right it's disturbing that this is still prescient it's disturbing that you understand why this guy went off to war and you might not approve of it. And you also understand why this guy murdered his commanding officer. Like, I don't know. The more we talk about this story, the more I kind of like it. Yeah. (laughs) You guys, you do this to me. Like as, as we talk through things, I mean, I, I read it last night and I dug the intro. I dug Mm -hmm. the closeout and the middle seemed a bit draggy, but I was engaged and there was uh, bits and pieces of it that pulled me in. But, you know, talking through this stuff, 
hammers home the the intentionality behind what what the author was going for. Yeah, it's well, it's good to to steal a, a <laughs> to steal an online quote from the the younger generation. Like this evokes a big mood. <laughs> I still don't totally understand that statement. <laughs> like it, it makes because it's yeet. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't even know what that means. How do you spell either. that? How That's do you spell I that? It. I don't know. All I know is nothing is on fleek anymore because that is 2015 speak. And there's something about T. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, we're not cool anymore. Me. But not the point, that we ever were. But it does have heavy. It's heavy. There's gravity to it, man. Yeah. Uh, even though it's set against this this larger, less personal backdrop, I I still think what the author was trying to do was get you to see how the manipulations of individuals toward individuals, as a result of larger, grander scale political machinations would impact the people being manipulated. Like, I I think that's what he's trying to do. I don't know that it's necessarily a masterful execution, but there's enough of it there that, that made me engaged in the story. It's not certainly not my favorite from the season, nor do I think it is on the same sort of categorization of uh, soul of a regiment. So, I just I just quickly like poked around. I mean, it seems like I don't know the the feelings. Maybe if I'm using the the parlance of our times, the feels that I got from uh like like Christopher Nolan's like Dunkirk. Okay, like yeah. resonate like this story. I think hits at that same note where like when I watched that movie, I very much felt the the personal weight of how these stories. We're playing out on the on the page, but there was a that disassociated, like I don't know, like the the narrative device that's playing out keeps me from like being plugged in the whole way through the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that seems to me like what this story is that I really do grasp the the gravity of the the situation that the protagonist is in, but I wasn't necessarily captured up and like, like wrapped up in that big mood that you're talking about. I get yeah. the, I get the big mood, but I don't necessarily get like felt like I don't I get all, I don't get all the, the, the feels in it in the middle of it. I, I think, I wonder if we aren't together, we three aren't conjuring a lot of these feels with our critical discussion of the story. Like, they're there, they're present, but we're yeah. we're magnifying them by talking about them and putting them into context. And, it is, it and is a pretty the, short story, too. Yes, and that's yeah. The, so, for all of our... Yeah, yeah, you're right. For all of our meandering through this, <laughs> it's a pretty quick experience. We could have read the story twice in the time it's taken us to yeah. discuss the story so far. So. <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying, that we do that, we magnify things, but... I still think that that's the point of the story, just based on this one passage of only one fact stood out. The Russian was beaten, Islam was safe, and the house of Osmanli. Nothing else mattered. The West Front, Albania, Macedonia, the French, the British, the Italians, 
No, he shook his head. He knew nothing about them. They were not in his life, his world. Russia was beaten, Islam was safe, and he had done his duty. And now he must go home and look after his fields and his wife and his children. They had been neglected so long. He must go soon, today, this very night. For here he was in the foothills of his own country, where he knew the roads. Yeah. I, I think that we're hitting on what Ahmed Abdullah, whoever he is, <laughs> was actually trying to say, which is that war sucks people in and we take advantage of people and we put them in situations they don't deserve and <laughs> we'll take everything we can from them to put to push our own ends. Us being people not yeah, you right and i luke <laughs> the, so, the royal us well right. like to, to recall that i mentioned just a couple of minutes ago the movie dunkirk like have you guys both seen that yeah i've seen i it. haven't no you haven't seen it so there's a scene this isn't a spoiler it's like a oh don't spoil it oh it's a, it's a bleep <laughs> it's a scene uh there towards the uh the 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 latter bit of the movie there's a portion where guys that have been through hell are on a train and a person who's appreciative like hands off a beer mm-hmm. and that has the most gravity and pushes you towards tears at least at least me like of anything it's the uh the the recognition of like what you've been going on you know there's there's just some level of of, of recognition of like your strife. I don't know. It's and that's the emotional payoff. Yeah. And the emotional payoff in this story we get at the beginning. And I wonder, I I'm beginning to agree with you guys. I wonder if this wasn't restructured in such a way that we didn't get that payoff until the end. Yeah. If it wouldn't be more powerful. Like, I don't know. I, I, I can see the way that John described it, like having it being a bit more cold with this is the 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 ultimate drama. Like yeah. it, it has a slightly different narrative payoff, but Well, yeah. I think at the beginning it's a murder. Right. And at the end it is a justifiable <laughs> emotional payoff. Right. right? Like it, it this guy does what he does because he's been through hell and he wants to go home. Yeah. And he wants his brothers and sisters to go home. Like, yeah, he, he wants everyone to like their reason for being here is, is over. So in this act, he is freeing them, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's similar to the handing off a beer. Like you've, <laughs> you've made it from the beaches of Dunkirk. Like you survived this, this retreat right here enjoy this hams and and the way that you know john was talking about like you're on he was quoting you know the the roads of home like it's a recognition of i don't know like the 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 tribulations but you're a bit step you're you're a step closer yeah i'm i'm totally like conflating (laughs) stuff here (laughs) but i'm thinking of like the final the final remarks of like Lord of the Rings where Samwise steps in and talks to Rosie and you know, I'm, I'm home. I'm home. Like, yeah. like it's, it's that kind of the things that I've seen, but yet there's the, the, the earthiness and the closeness of 
Like that's a very intimate sort of close to things. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I feel the way I do about this story because sort of we we know what happens to the Ottoman Empire at the end of World War One, which is not good. Like he fights for country against the Russians, but it's the rest of the the Allied or what are we call what are they called in the First World War? Are they not the Allied powers? The Entente. Entente, okay. No, wait, are they the bad guys? <laughs> I can't remember now. I've had too much bourbon. But basically <laughs> basically the Ottoman Empire that he's fighting for, you know, by proxy is gone. And we end up with everything that we know for the last one hundred years of the Middle East of of I mean, not to get too political, but you know, people being taken advantage of and countries propped up and, and taking things away from them and all this stuff that we've seen for forever now. Proxy for wars. everything in our lifetime. Yeah. Is set up by this. Yeah. We got quiet. <laughs> there's, there's a heavy weight here. Yeah, there there is a heavy weight here because this story resonates. Yeah. I hate the uh, the point that, that John made previously that this is not the story being prescient, but us just like shooting ourselves in the foot and recycling things. Mm. But the fact that this is such a timely story is both frustrating and a testament to the, the materials that are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, do you have anything to add about, about <laughs> that, regarding that? Can you, can you provide any context or <laughs> support of the, can I stop side? it from happening? Yeah. Stop this from happening. <laughs> I, it just seems like you can, you can do this, right? You have the, the spirograph of history where you can say, look at this thing that happened 110 years ago or 105 years ago and compare it to now. I mean, we are going through similar transformative events in history. I'm not going to say that there's going to be a direct parallel and we're going to see all the same things play out again and there's going to be two world wars that occur back to back. I mean, that that's not the point. The point is that that we make the same mistakes, that we play out some of these same transgressions on a global stage and use people in ways that are very similar to the ways they've been used before. And we breed hate and we breed strife and you can't help but expect things to turn out similarly because you're playing the same old song. People are going to dance in a similar way. I don't know. Now I'm being very cynical. <laughs> no, but I think you're hitting on a very Howardian theme that uh, there's barbarism and there's civilization and barbarism will always triumph. And, and yeah, we can't sad. escape it, right? It's a, it's, a na- it's a natural, like, it's a nature thing. It's part of the human experience. Yeah. And My as- twist on Bob's theory, though, would be that those barbarians, those people who live life in the way that he would most celebrate are the ones that suffer the most in these sorts of transformative events. Bob would find 
a hero in in Mamet. He would sure. he would write about Mamet and his people. Yeah. Well, because they they are the heroes of this of this story to him. Yeah. But they are definitely suffering under the yoke of everybody else's people. The Prussians, right? The in the in the uh, I didn't want to say the Germans did it. The Germans did it. <laughs> but, but to the to the testament of Abdullah Ahmed's writing, like that comes that comes across that we have uh that eternal sort of like Howardian statement like the 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 barbarian is the the suffering agent but is the sympathetic like that's i don't know this this is a uh this is an sns howardian story and there is no real civilization right civilization yeah. is just a refinement of barbarism uh it, it's it's a a different form of barbarism and we're fated for this somewhere someone is being taken advantage of and there will come a time when they will um, become empowered through whatever means. I, I don't know if what I'm saying is um, it's probably not PC, but it, it certainly is in the spirit of Robert E. Howard's writing. And I think it can be found right here in the story as well. Yeah. Cause we're not trying to say that. I mean, if you looked at these Turks, you could say they're the doer, they're the Howardian doers of, of things in this story, okay. which is not to take away from perhaps the Prussians and the Germans that are also fighting their side of the war or the Russians or the British or whatever. It's that they are swept up in the tide of civilizations, whatever. Clashing. Like it, it's, clashing. it's water. Yeah. You know, they're, they were doing what they do. They were living a life and it was a worthwhile life with people and, and goats and love and tea and pipes on the hillside and kids and, and, and wives and things and yeah. kids and wives. And it was good. Yeah. But then, you know, some cousin to some other cousin got a wild hair up their ass and assassinated some archduke with some bomb. And now everybody's got to stab each other to death and everybody's got to bleed and everybody's got to die. And you got to, too, because it's yeah. not your war. It's our war. And we wear these colors and they wear those colors and we don't like the colors that they're wearing. So we right. are against them. Yeah, this is this is so I mean, this this stuff was resonant in the late 60s and the 70s with Vietnam. It's yep. resonant today. Like yep. this is. My war, not your war arguments it's i don't know it's man we're hemingway right now we're expats <laughs> dude <laughs> i mean this is this is heavy there's a lot of gravity to this stuff i know i keep using heavy and gravity like as as counterpoint statements but like this is a story that has weight yeah absolutely yeah um and while it might not be immediately resonant i i mm. think once you consider the themes and and think about what Abdullah was trying to get across here. Uh, it becomes a very powerful tale of war and peace. 
Yeah, I'm not going to keep on pooping on Talbot Monday because I haven't read a bunch of his poop, stuff. Poop but, on him. But with poop the, on the, one, the one story that we read of his versus this one, while they share similarities with like the, the weird, or not the weird, but like the disassociated, like like broader, big picture sort of structure, this is the, the far, su- far superior story. It's it's This is a far more personal story than yeah. that, I think. And, and and it's it like means, it's it's it, I don't want to say it's like not likable, but it's it's more relatable and it's it's <laughs> I don't want to say uh, it's less problematic. Like <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> it also maintains its internal consistency and structure. Yeah, good point. Right, like the rules that are put forth here are maintained from from opening to closing. Yep, and not to beat a dead horse but my big problem with that monday story aside from the you know colonial aspects of it really was the structural component like it didn't adhere to its own rules so do you think gee i don't know how we're doing on time but but in terms of like the way this story is structured the fact that it sort of lays down the 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 final act of the story in the opening paragraph does it kind of like lay its own terms and its own like, oh. like rule for how it's going to like, like I'm constraining the story. This is how we're going. Maybe it's, it's a very fatalistic approach, right? Yeah. Like this guy killed another guy. Here's why. Let's get there. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there are films that, that follow that approach, I mean, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. That's definitely the noir kind of, uh, jumping in in media res, like give you <laughs> the the in, the end point or the consequences, and let's jump into how how uh, we know where how we're going to get there, and, and things are going to be all foobar, but let's get there. Yeah, yeah. I think of Double Indemnity where he's recording at the desk, and Ooh, uh, everything's already happened. You know the badness. Yeah, you just got to get to where it, it came from. There are other movies that are like this, but I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. So just to be clear, we read a like four page, five page story. <laughs> well, yeah. In uh, yeah. Al- Alien Souls, it goes from page 97 uh, to page 113. Yeah. I saw so, it on Google Books in the, the version that John read, and it was a super duper short. Like, Is it m- multiple columns? Yeah, there's two columns to a page, but yeah. it's like five seven pages maybe. yeah it is a very short story yeah it's it's a little bit meaty you can tell but it's got that big part. feel <laughs> it's got the big feels yeah big feels <laughs> big mood i don't know if we're doing that right hashtag oh yeah it it's doesn't big mood, matter isn't it? yeah yeah it's big mood uh we're all too old to be using these terms anyway so it doesn't matter listen gen z listeners tell us <laughs> how to use these words correctly that's right you uh, guys were talking about a couple things I hadn't even recognized before. Okay. What were they? Oh, no, no, no. Like the uh, the next generation oh. statements. Okay. Eat and tea. That. that. I what, don't know what that is. What is that? Tea. Uh, Kara, my wife was telling me about it recently, that tea means something. We Neither of us know what it means right now. But The letter T? No, T-E-A. Like, you're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, what's up? That's tea. Hmm. As in, like, like orange pico? Or like... Uh, as Earl, in, like, hot Earl, salad water? Earl Grey? Dude, I like me some tea. 
I like that bergamot. I mean, I'm just now getting my handle on the $100, like the 100% or 100. That emoji? That, that, that I mean. 100 with an underline? I mean, I get it. Like, I, I totally. G I, I is slang for gossip, situation, story, or news. Okay. That's what it says. Are you on Urban Dictionary? Um, Just the Googles and Urban Dictionary. This is apparently from hellogiggles.com slash lifestyle. (laughs) I'm going to put that in our show notes, which I'm sure you've been to dozens of times. If I was a linguist slash like a pop cultural historian, like like 2019, not 2018, 2019. Right. It's a hell of a time. In the like future. The, the way that language works in this weirdo planet that we live on, it, it's it's crazy. Like it, the fact also, that the, GIFs the, are language now, right? Yeah, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that carries uh, meaning and gravity that we can't that we can't immediately intuit on the basis of decades and centuries before. I feel like we've all sort of increased our gif usage especially in the chromecast uh facebook thread <laughs> you just like the eggplant dude i do like the eggplant emoji it, it conveys a lot of intent yeah, that's not a gif that's an emoji yeah uh, get with the times I, luke i it's, don't even it's anticipatory well you guys use gifs i don't even i'll properly say i don't i don't even know like i can find gifs and i can like paste them, but I don't even know how easily people import them and drop them into social media context. If that makes sense, like it does make sense. You can you can just find gifs, whatever. Like they're little. Tomorrow, that's all we're going to talk in. But <laughs> like you find them on the basis of just like some repository. Is that true? Yeah, like, I use Jiffy. There's a GIF bar. Yeah, right. And so Jiffy or your GIF bar on your your app. Of, of the day or whatever, like whatever your, your phone is or whatever. But I've, I've not, I don't know. I've not become conversant enough that I'll start like poking around and like, Oh, I want to find a GIF for this. Like say you say something that's quippy and happy and wants to show like ultimate success. Like how do you find a, a GIF for that? I already have one in mind. <laughs> John just sent us a, a GIF. So what I do is go to this app called Jiffy and search mm-hmm. for like the emotion or um, statement I want to make. Like uh-huh. if it's a thumbs up, I'll mm-hmm. search for that. And then you'll say thumbs up. Yep. Happy. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. Dance. Or a energy. Happy. Whoa. <laughs> big Richard. <laughs> big Richard energy. I assume you meant. Oh, I'm sorry. Chromecast so, after dark. <laughs> this is all staying in. Uh, this is a little off topic. So let's let's rein this in. Yeah. And, and let's close out, I think, with a final thought. Given that it is Robert E. Howard's birthday uh, on today's recording date. What do you... How do you apply um, the Howardian model the howardian worldview to the story we talked about a little bit earlier before or as an alternative question what howard story do you want to be reading right now and why i would say for your second question there beyond the black river okay it's a war story 
maybe it's the opposite of what we read just now where we're on Conan's side and we would have been reading a Pix viewpoint okay. in this other sort of version of it. Um, but I feel like that, or maybe Hour of the Dragon, isn't mm-hmm. that the one where he's in a big war? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, something where Howard is talking about a big war and talking about what people are going through while they're fighting these battles because I feel like this is a perspective he would have enjoyed this idea of, uh, I did my duty. I've done my due diligence. Where is my reward? Yeah. This seems like a, uh, if you were to put it in a Howardian milieu, this would be like King Conan is going to war and you're one of the Hyrcanian archers and you have been summoned away from your family and you've got to do this thing against this resurrected wizard who you know nothing about, but you just want to be home. Right. You're fighting against set and stuff from Stygia and Conan is in the North. Like you have no idea who he is, what he's doing. You've never heard of him or met him, but But he's rallied you to the banners. Yeah. Right. You're, you're caught up in his, his mess. Yeah. So you'd be reading, <laughs> you'd be reading Hour of the Dragon or, or Beyond the Black River. Yeah, I guess that's where I'll go. Okay. How about you, Luke? I was thinking about this a little bit earlier. Maybe, I, I mean, something Pictish for sure, and perhaps like one of the Bram McMorrin stories. I, oh, don't, okay. I don't necessarily have mm. a, a strong statement of like this story or that story, mm. but something that has like the, the fatalism the melancholy and i know that doesn't like get you too far with like a howard story but but those well. two items plus like the the soldiers of fortune sort of story arc like i think those three elements would get you where you need to be the the worms of the earth certainly exemplifies the ends yeah. or, that someone would go to in order to um you know, advance their cause. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I guess for me, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the, uh, I can't think of the title of the story, but it's the red Sonia story where we have red Sonia as, oh, yeah. as the, uh, uh, Red Sonia of Rigatino, right? Like not the chainmail bikini Red Sonia, but the the um, gun for hire Red Sonia, who is trying to hold off the forces of Suleiman and and the uh, the Turkish army. Um, I I guess I was thinking along the same lines as you, John. Like some some battle, some embattled character who is in over their head. Who's searching the shadow for, of the vulture shadow of the vulture. Yeah. Nice. Searching for a way out, like desperately seeking some, some means to, to extricate themselves from the situation. Yeah. Yeah. The spears of Clontarf. There we go. Spears yeah. of Clontarf. Angry Odin. Angry Odin. <laughs> New band name as as Cthulhu monster. I, I yeah 
I, I again, I would reiterate my belief that on Howard's birthday that this is a story. I don't know if he ever read it. I don't have any evidence of that, but that well, he this is could've. a feeling that he would be into. Yeah, he certainly could have read this, right? Like it was published in 1922, unless I've yep. missed my mark. So yep. certainly this was something that could have been on his radar. I don't mm. know. We should ask Rusty Burke if if this was a story that Howard could have run across. Yeah. Um, because I just don't know what the publication, like the the length and breadth of of the publication of Alien Souls would have been like. I mean, was it in his library? Right. Or was it within the the Cross Plains library where he could have accessed it? Or would some of his correspondents have been like, you know what you would like? Yeah. This Alien Souls thing. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing's for sure, they're now inexorably linked because of the Chromecast. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so regardless if uh, Ahmed Abdullah read Howard or if Howard read Ahmed Abdullah, uh, we have now placed them together within the chronology of the pulps. All right. Bring us home, Josh. Where are we going next, John? Further down the road. <laughs> Let's look it up because we I don't have one remember. more, right? Well, we've got two more. Oh, two uh, more. They're both Howard oh, stories. Yeah. We're doing some more El Borak. And we're going to do some history type stories. That's right. We got a couple more, right? I'm pulling it up right here. I got yeah, it. Yeah, I'm trying. I got it. I got it. I got trying. it. Oh, we're doing two Howard joints to wrap us up Blood of the Gods. L to the Borak, and then also uh, the Sowers of the Thunder, which cool. is which is another one. Nice. It gets some some props from the Howard community, I think. Yeah, I've heard some good things about yeah. the story in particular. So two X Howard at the end of the Road to the East. <laughs> That's what you, what you can look forward to. You can find links to those on our blog which you can find at thecromcast.blogspot.com. If you wanted to, you could send us an email and let us know if you enjoyed Ahmed Abdullah or any of the other stories this season. That's thecromcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at thecromcast. We're on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash thecromcast. And if you wanted to, and I'm look, I'm leveling with you. You listening right now. We want to hear your voice, and here's how you do it. You call 859-429-CROM on your cellular telephone, <laughs> and you let it ring five times, and then you'll hear my dorky voice say, thank you for calling the Chromecast hotline. Leave us a message after the beep, and then you'll leave us a savage message in which you'll say whatever is on your mind. Roar. You'll, you'll, you'll let loose a savage roar, a barbarian's cr uh, call, a yelp, a yelp, if a, you will, a barbaric yelp, a barbaric yelp, and then you'll lay your soul bare to us, and you'll tell us all the things we missed, and you'll tell us all the thoughts you have, and that's what I want you to do. That's your mission for 100 experience points and 10 gold pieces, as well as... As well as an opportunity to win some well, swag that Luke just pulled off his bookshelf. Just be the uh, the first the first the first caller to leave a, a voicemail, and, and I'll say this: unfortunately, 
Nomad Jim or perhaps anybody else that lives overseas, it's going to be hard for us to ship this stuff like across, internationally ac- across the pond, as it were. I'll pay for shipping. <laughs> don't okay. pro- don't promise something. Promise you check. that. <laughs> <laughs> Your butt can't cash there, John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you live within the continental United States and you leave that voicemail, you'll get a book from us. Because we have a couple that we need to be sending in the mail. That's right. They are Apex Publications. Right here uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. Yep. We need to we need to promote them and get them get them out to you guys. We have Brian Keene, uh, The Lost Level, as well as King of the Bastards, uh, Brian Keene, and Stephen Shrewsbury. So a couple pulpy books. We've got these handy. We may even have another one. We got some more. Uh, we've, we've got, got a couple. Stuff. So, so the bottom line is, we would have mail you. You can't. You here's the thing. You can't send us any sort of like voicemail and say, "Oh, send me this book." Just no. Send us your voicemail, and then at the end, say, "Oh yeah, by the way, my my mailing address is blah," and okay. give it to us. We'll edit that out. Yeah, we'll we'll, that we're out. not gonna like drop that on the internet, but then you'll get a book in the mail because I can't afford media mail. I can afford the three dollars to send you a book. Yeah. Yeah. I got envelopes. Yeah, we can do that. So, I have so many things I could give away as part of this. Man. Well. We're going to condo our our stuff. <laughs> we're going to figure out what sparks joy in us. We're going to send you what doesn't. <laughs> but Chromecast you, Prime. That's but, right. But if you want uh, Chromecast uh, swag. swag, like the, the, the various books that we've got waiting in the wings, you got to do a voicemail. Yep. So maybe there'll even be a doodle inside of it. And if you can't like call on a piece us, of paper. Yeah. And if you can't call us, you can record your thoughts on your smartphone and send that as an attachment to the Chromecast at gmail.com. We're waiting. We are ready to believe you. Solid ending there, dude. Thanks, man. That's a Ghostbusters reference. <laughs> I got that. I got that. I like I like the Ghostbusters and I like you. Thanks. I like you too. I treasure your friendship. <laughs> I love that we always circle it back. We circle it back to the Team America reference. <laughs> I treasure our friendship. And we treasure you guys out there listening to us in podcast land. And we'll see you a little bit further down the road to the east.
I don't know what it is that I sent you yesterday, Josh. That, that weird that music was a, video. That was a head trip. I thought that's what you were showing Luke. I was like, no, don't watch it. You'll die in seven days. 